We're not wearing masks on planes anymore. The Ministry of Truth has been created, and a new law in the state of Tennessee regulates the speech of nonprofits. I'm John Fender, along with Gary Humble and Kevin Kukaji. This is the Freedom Matters Podcast. Uh, all right, Kevin, you're the first person I, I know personally that has now flown without a mask on. Oh, yeah. How was that? <laughs> Tell um, me all amazing, about it, please. Amazing. Wait, but before I go there, yeah, I want to hear about your experience last night. Where did you go last night? So last night, at the time of this recording, last night, I went to an Eagles concert. Um, jealous. At the big Bridgestone Arena here in Nashville. And um, initially, the Eagles, you know, they, they were... Don Henley and them were a little crazy about mm-hmm. all the COVID stuff. And my wife is a massive Eagles fan. She grew up on the Eagles and, like, never seen them live. Um, and this was, like, a dream of hers. And so when they announced they were coming to Nashville, I was like, as long as they're not showing, not making a show of, like, a, a vaccine passport, right. I'll consider it. And so eventually it came to the point where they, when they released the dates, they said, all you have to have is a negative COVID test. I'm like, man, if I'm... If I'm going to do this negative COVID test thing one time, I'll do it for this band so my wife can go see. I know what Gary's thinking in his head right now. He's, mm. he's judging me for this. But, yeah. Well, that's why I didn't buy the that, tickets, by the way. That's where I was going to go with it. <clears throat> However, a week before the concert, uh, everything got dropped completely. That's great. It's just like nothing Nothing is. And I, we even called the box office because we wanted to double make mm-hmm. sure I'm not I'm not showing up here and then you telling Spring me I have to have, something on you yeah and then I just lost all the money on these tickets but no nothing it was wide open didn't I saw one mask in like 8,000 people what did piss me off though was that they had they played with a live orchestra which was really cool hmm. the entire orchestra was masked uh... <laughs> and what made it even more absurd is the riser came up with the orchestra, and there was a uh, the Fisk, Fisk Jubilee Singers. The choir was behind them. Okay, choir was all unmasked. Uh, oh, with, unmasked, unmasked. Okay, I thought you were well, saying they were masked. because you know, they have to sing. <laughs> right. I know, so but they're unmasked. <clears throat> Wait a second, they have to sing. But you've seen pictures of those marching bands with masks with like, the holes cut, yeah, in little holes cut out. <laughs> right? But you have a a choir standing right behind. An orchestra. <laughs> Breathing all over them. Blows singing their all, over, singing all over them. They're not masked. The orchestra is masked. And then 8,000 people in the auditorium are not masked. And it's just like, what are we doing, guys? doesn't make any sense. Uh, but yeah. So the concert was good? It was fantastic. They're in their 70s and still killing it. Uh, yeah. yeah. They were great. How long was the show? Three hours. Three hours. They played the entire Hotel California album. Oh, that's back, right. Wow. And, and then they took like a 10-minute break. And then they came back and just played all the hits for like another uh. two hours. Yeah. It was great. Yeah, I so wanted to go to that. But <clears throat> as you say, those health protocols are why I didn't buy tickets. Because they didn't make us do that when we went to see John Mayer. I took my son to see John Mayer a couple of weeks ago. And from the time the tickets were on sale, they never mentioned anything about that. So we enjoyed that. But as it, as it were, I couldn't have gone anyway. So I'm glad I didn't buy tickets. Yeah. Because I was taking this you're little, flying. Because I was taking this little plane ride, yes, on... Uh, so when did they drop all the mass stuff? T- Ten days ago? Something oh. like that. And so, yes, this was the first trip I've taken in two years without any kind of COVID tyranny, other than a a mention on the website or something like that. And um, I will tell you that not only was it normal, it felt even better than normal, not just because of the absence of time that we've been required to be burdened by these things, but everyone seemed pleasant. Like, 
everyone seemed to be smiling from the airport. From so when you come in, from the the gate or sorry the the ticket agents, the security guy um, when you pr- present your ID, the guys in security, the gate agents, the the people had senses of humor back again. You saw a bunch of smiles. Isn't that something? And even when mm-hmm. we landed, we were flying to Florida and, and got into a cab. That you know the little taxi stands they have outside the airports. Mm-hmm. Um, even the attendant at that at that taxi stand was super smiley and happy and like going overboard just to try to please us. Which a couple of weeks ago, flying with a mask, nobody would do that. Mm-mm. They're looking at you with with fear and tension, or looking by you and 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 being um, authoritarian with every remark. And I said to my wife, um, she was with me. One thing that demonstrates is why those who seek to mask us are doing it. Think of all the intentional it has nothing we know, of course, has nothing to do with health. But think of all the intentional division, hatred, fear, suspicion that it creates mm. among Americans, right? Americans that otherwise wouldn't know each other when you have masks on, everybody's suspicious of each other or put off or bothered or just in a bad mood. Yeah. You take off the mask and reasonability abounds again. And everybody's just pleasant with each other. I'm sure it also was motivated by the fact that they were also all excited right. to be back in normalhood. And, I, you know, probably I probably saw a handful of masks, right? Funny thing was in Florida this morning when we flew back, the entire Southwest gate, uh, or not gate, the ticket agents, they were masked for some reason. Oh, man. I just, Maybe it was their choice. I know. Just kind of odd that they were consistently... In Florida. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. But um, there you go. Well, I, I said this the other day. Like, uh, I was thinking I was standing in a Starbucks and some guy, the whole Starbucks, even the employees are unmasked at this point. And this guy walks in with a mask on and I, I just sat there thinking, like, how long are you going to do this? Mm-hmm. And then I And then I thought, all right, maybe, whatever. He's got his choice to do that. Because I, I grew up, I lived for six years in Japan, and this is very common in, in Asia. Like, you if, you if you're sick and you have to go out, you wear a mask. So it's very common to see right. people wearing a mask in, in Japan, but, but they're sick. So it's like, if you're not sick, how long do you plan on doing this? Are you just going to indefinitely wear a mask forever? Yeah, well, let me take it up a notch. There was a, a young husband and wife on the plane with us today coming back from Florida to Tennessee. They were probably in their 30s at most. And when they got on the plane, both masked up, the wife was reaching up to, you know, the little air vents that you open? She had a little, like a Clorox bleach thing, and she was up there cleaning, reaching up and cleaning the air ducts over her. It's just psycho. Hypochondria. Yeah. Yeah. Sad. Um, all right. Well, we can move on. Uh, I... <laughs> It's a good. It's a good start, though. It's it's it a is. personal stories and and real life. Um, well, real life is getting weirder. Yeah. Um, this this is what I want to talk about because I had some questions about this and and maybe just overall. I mean, not maybe not necessarily questions, but overall, I wanted overall feedback from you guys on this. So our uh, our illustrious Secretary of Homeland Security, Mister uh, is it is it Alejandro? Yeah, my my Mayorkas. Yeah. He's been testifying in front of Congress, correct, mm-hmm. for about the border. And he just so happens to mention, while he's talking about all this, that he has formed a, um, I believe his words were, were disinformation slash 
slash misinformation governance board, which I thought it was interesting that he used both terms. Because if you look up both terms, which I did because I had to, I wanted to see what the definitions were. The Webster de- defines misinformation as false or inaccurate information. So it's just like any of us can do that. We've probably all done it before. You just accidentally said mm-hmm. something that you thought was true, but wasn't necessarily true. But disinformation is false or inaccurate information done on purpose. Propaganda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Intended to be mis- misleading. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was interesting that he used both words. And then I start looking it up and like he was quoted as saying the goal is to bring the resources of the Department of Homeland Security Mm -hmm. together to address this threat. Um, But like, I guess my first question is like, this is obviously terrifying in a violation of Mm -hmm. First Amendment Mm -hmm. purposes, correct? Absolutely. Like, I mean, because the First Amendment, you know. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech. Right. This guy just decides he gets to be the arbiter of what is One misinformation guy. or disinformation. Yeah. And let's not confuse ourselves with the fact that it's not Mayorkas. Am I saying that right? Yeah, I think it's so. I think so. Himself, right? His directives are coming from his supervisors and his superiors. Which are not even Biden, right? His, we know his, handle, his yeah. handlers. His handlers. Well, so to that point, I think it's interesting to note that a week, almost to the day, in fact, I think it was to the day, a week before all of this came out, Obama mm-hmm. gives a lengthy speech at Stanford where he was quoted as saying, um, these Social media platforms have helped to divide the public, spread misinformation, and erode trust in democratic institutions, leading to the rise of autocrats such as Russian leader Vladimir Putin and unnecessary deaths from the coronavirus. And then a week exactly later, you have this stuff come out. And all the while in the midst, Elon Musk is buying Twitter. Yep. Another little Mm -hmm. interesting piece. It's a good angle. There was a tweet, uh, I think it was actually today, um, I don't know if you guys have heard of the Foundation for Economic Education. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, fee. So the guy who's the editor-in-chief there, Dan Sanchez, he tweeted and said, Elon Musk buys Twitter to try and create a space with more free speech. And days later, President Biden announces a, quote, ministry of truth. Mm-hmm. And to what end? Well, they say, by the way, they claim that their reason is about election, um, electioneering. This is, Let me read you this line because it's... <laughs> I, I, I won't try to paraphrase it because it's too too stunning on its own. It says, scrolling down the article, okay. He added that it would focus on the latest trend of misinformation allegedly targeting Spanish-speaking voters. No further details on the exact misinformation being deployed against these communities was shared. He explained that the board would work, quote, to tackle disinformation ahead of the November midterms, particularly in Hispanic communities, end quote. Hmm. Why all of a sudden this worry about Hispanic voters being the targets of disinformation? Well, because they're all they're all flipping to red. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So if you can either suppress the vote by not allowing them access to information or there's there's two ways to discourage the vote. One is to keep to have them so discouraged they just don't vote um, altogether, or to actually direct them to your candidate. So I think that's one of the reasons it's happening now because of 2022 midterms, where they fear they're going to get 
um, caught up in a big red wave. But I think it has far more expansive aims and intents. You know, when you reference that Obama speech, mm-hmm. I don't know if you read that he also referred to language that he didn't like as uh, sewage in the public square or smelling of sewage in the public square, which you can see what he's trying to do, right? If he, if he can convince or, or establish a policy or a theory of law that says, look, the government's not doing anything different here than if there were a big spillage of sewer in the public square. The belief that, of course, everyone would want sewage to be cleaned up. That's just awful. You know, don't, nobody wants to smell that here. But the analogy is not fitting because in this situation, speech that might be offensive to him is beautiful to us. And on the contrary, speech that might be beautiful to us is offensive. I just said that the same way. <laughs> speech that might be beautiful to him is... That just, <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't, I don't Wait, know what you said okay. anymore. Let's try it again. Speech that is beautiful to him might be offensive to us, and speech that is beautiful to us might be offensive to him. Right. But that's the whole point of free speech, and you couldn't ever get agreement like you would on a physical problem like the smell or the stench of sewage. But I thought it was both telling and dangerous when you see him setting up that theory. And he doesn't make up these things, right? He has his team of advisors his Marxist advisors who've been working on this for years. He's just the speech deliverer, but he's trying to set a precedent and to establish legal grounds to be able to distinguish between kinds of speech. I knew it was happening, but I, I had not really dug deep into why this, this, I guess what they call the ministry of truth, <laughs> was being devised. Mm-hmm. Interesting that it has to do with minorities in elections, because on the radio today, on my way here, uh, apparently— new poll out today, Biden's approval amongst black voters has dropped 20%. Wow. Yeah, so the the whole, you know, their whole message is falling apart mm-hmm. amongst their current voter base, and they're seeing it. That, you know, it's interesting amidst all of that, this ministry of truth crops up. Also, clearly, well, maybe not so clearly, I don't think the two are tied in any way, shape, or form, but while we're talking about free speech and the ministry of truth and the the government having some ability to discern what is good speech or not good speech in terms of the First Amendment, that, again, while all that is going on in the the free territory of Tennessee, uh, we passed a law yesterday. It passed that would regulate the speech of 501c4s 60 days leading up to an election. So I just find find all of that interesting in terms of in some – sectors of society, even amongst conservatives, the message that some parts of our government somehow are responsible to in any way, shape, or form control or manage the speech of others Hmm. is incredibly fascinating. And it's all happening at the same time. Yes. And what does it tell you, right? You don't want to control the speech of someone unless you fear what they say. Mm -hmm. Thomas Jefferson had a phrase. He said, it is error alone that needs the support of government. Truth can stand by itself. Mm. Man, you got some good ones. It's from from a family of memorization. (laughs) We have our our memorization. Since 2010, I wish I would have started it earlier. Uh, We used to spend every Wednesday, and the day has moved a little bit, but memorizing. Founding fathers, a lot of scripture, poetry, speeches, 
a lot of stuff like that. So it's good. It's it's good for moments like this because it does kind of just build bridges to conversation. I think truth though does hit the soul in such a way that it's it's more at least in my mind, it's more easily absorbed. You know, that there's been some sentiment and I don't want to get into the bill, but just speaking about truth, there's been some sentiment in the General Assembly apparently that uh, organizations like Tennessee Stands have become too powerful at the Capitol. It's literally what was said in the halls of the Capitol, which is astonishing to me because I haven't found that to make Well, we haven't accomplished all that <laughs> yeah, much. I was just say. <laughs> I'm not sure where all that power is because uh, you guys keep squashing our efforts. But it's not. It's not power that's actually taken. Um, it's more perceived power. They're just. It's just terrifying for them. And and that, that's right. And the in the. It's perceived that way. Why? Because people, more and more and more Tennesseans have become active because they've listened to our quote-unquote misinformation. But is that because it's misinformation or is it truth? Mm -hmm. What I've found, you don't have to work very hard or pay for advertisements or boost your post or do all of these tricks and spend all of this money to proselytize the truth. The truth seems to have a way of uh, getting around, and people absorb it and spread it. Uh, now, if now if you're engaging in in misinformation and propaganda, that's what's going to cost you money. So they put all these laws in place by which we, you know, if you spend you know five thousand dollars, you know, you've got to reveal your your expenditures or whatnot. I don't think they they understand that. Yeah, we're loud and people are paying attention, but dude, since we've been around for almost two years. I promise you, I guarantee you, it might be a thousand, but if I add up every dollar I've spent on a Facebook ad, we have not reached $2,000 in our entire existence. Yeah. All of our reach is organic by people who already subscribe to our message and spread it. That says something. My, my point in all of that is, yes, when you form a ministry of truth, a disinformation department, and you pass laws to regulate speech – the problem that you have is misinformation. The problem that you have is that people are beginning to understand what the truth is, and you ha and you now have a problem on your hands. And again, I, I think we should take great encouragement. I know the actions they're taking, whether it's the federal ministry of truth or whether it is this state— what's the number of this? HB 1201. HB 1201. Restricting free speech, really, of everyday Tennesseans just— because of the manner in which they're conducting it. It should make us feel good that we're being effective, both here in Tennessee, Gary, because of what you've done with Tennessee Stands, but all across the nation, because people are awake to what is going on. And so the only, the only means and, and measures that the federal government and the state government can take is to start to pass laws to stop the truth. It's not going to stop. It's going to do a lot of damage to people, and it's going to create a lot of chaos and confrontation, but it won't stop the truth. There's there's nothing you can do to stop the truth. You may be, squish it down here, it's going to pop up over there. Yep. Squish it down here, it's going to pop out there. And I think every effort they take to try to stop it through legal means only exposes them like an out-of-control parent, right, who can't control the child. Yep. Just You reduce your legitimacy of government when you do that and you show a lot of fear instead of confidence. Yeah, you're showing everyone who you really are. Mm -hmm. Well, and they do that by putting people like this Nina Jankowitz Jenko as the executive director. 
of this so-called Ministry yeah, of Truth, which, by the way, the Ministry of Truth, that's not an official term for it. That comes from 1984, right? Yep. George Orwell. Yeah. Yep. She's, and she's she's 33. She is. Do, so, do you so, know all the truth whenever you're 33? <laughs> no, you definitely I don't. don't. Um, but what I thought was funny, there was actually quite a few pieces in the New York Post, which is fair, coming from the New York Post, you know, who they, they were the ones, right, that were initially banned on Twitter yes, because of the whole because of the laptop, laptop situation. Mm-hmm. So there's actually a number, if you search her name and go to the news tab, there's a number of New York Post's pieces on her. A lot of them are opinion pieces, but this one actually was not an opinion piece. And it was titled, White House Pick for Big Brother-like Disinformation Board Spreads Lies About Hunter Biden Laptop. So this whole article goes into how she was the one. Yep. Well, she was the disinformation ago, campaign. She was the dif- disinformation campaign about the laptop. Yeah, and now she's the one in charge of deciding. But that's exactly to their plan that people in general, but the left in particular, politically, always project onto their political enemies who they are. Whether it was Russia Gate, right, mm-hmm. accusing the Trump administration of having nefarious dealings with Russia or with Ukraine, when in reality. <laughs> The Democrats, the progressives, they were the ones yep. that were having all the, the bad dealings with, yeah, with Russia and with Ukraine. And so, of course, they're going to choose the very person who is involved in disinformation and misinformation to lead a campaign against the rest of us who are speaking the truth in order pre- to prevent the truth from obviously toppling their their little Tower of Babel. You know, speaking of Hunter Biden and Ukraine, I just want to publicly say if if anyone has a board position available – for say about eighty grand a month, I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, there's just one other piece to this that I wanted to mention, and then we can we can dive into it more if you want. But uh, Senator Josh Holly, Holly, he's from Missouri. Missouri. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. He wrote. He actually wrote a letter to Myorcus, and it, it. I thought it was really good. Um, he wrote a letter asking for the immediate dis to dissolve this, right. this board. board immediately. Um, he, he said, quote, I confess, at first I thought this announcement was satire. Surely no American administration would ever use the power of government to sit in judgment on the First Amendment speech of its own citizens. Sadly, I was mistaken. Rather than protecting our border or the American homeland, you have chosen to make policing American speech your priority. He went on to say, it can only be assumed that the sole purpose of this new disinformation governance board will be to marshal the power of the federal government to censor conservative and dissenting speech. This is dangerous and un-American, and the board should be immediately dissolved. And there's a lot much more to that letter, but I thought it was really powerful. And I, I'm, So my question is, you have sitting senators who are writing letters like this. You obviously have Americans who are upset about this. Where do we go from here? Like, there's not, is there anything we can do about this? Because this isn't necessarily a law being put in place. This is just some sort of board being put in place to make judgments on Americans. So yeah, it, how do we fight this? It, well, they would have to act on it. They would have to, the government would have to take some action that violates a person's First Amendment rights for them to have a case or controversy. So that's a good question then. Is this just Remember, a, John, for you to have standing. That's right. <laughs> yeah, someone, someone who knows a lot about it always standing. comes back to standing. So is that is that's a good question. Is this just a is this a giant um, play? Is this just a giant virtue signal, or is this actually something no, that I you think, think they'll follow through with? Yeah, I think that. Well, they've already been following through with it indirectly or under different names oh, for they're the just, last couple of yeah. years. Um, now they're just trying to authorize it, and, and perhaps they feel they have 
their narrative has allowed them, I, I don't think it has, but you can kind of see they've mapped this out strategically way in advance. Well, they did just lose a whole social media platform that, to use against us. Which, actually, I'm glad, glad you brought that up. I think we should talk about Elon Musk because, um, well, I'll ask you guys, what's your opinion on Elon Musk's taking over of Twitter? Both vis-a-vis how it happened and, and what it means and what it doesn't mean. It's hard to say. I mean, you know, you're you're really at that that question is determined by the character of a man. You know, at the end of the day, at this point, and you know, he has said some great things. You know, um, in terms of free speech and and how wrong we've been in all this. He he also made some uh, statements that needed to be made during the government's response to COVID and all the shenanigans were going on. So I mean, there's some there's some positive there, but. All in all, um, it, you still have one guy now that gets to make very critical decisions True. in terms yeah. of what we get to say or not on his platform. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think that's ever a real positive thing in my book. It, it makes me—I I don't have any feelings about it, honestly, other than I'm in, incredibly nervous for our future. I don't—I'm not holding out any hope that all of a sudden— Elon Musk is like daddy free speech Mm -hmm. in the social media world. I would agree with that, except that if he takes steps like making algorithms public, making that open source. That's a different story. If we actually get to see behind the curtain what's happened. If he does do that, then that adds another level of accountability to that one man. Yeah, but he'd be destroying, essentially bringing great damage and repute to his own $44 billion investment. So certainly would not be in his interests to do that. So if he did do that outside of what would directly benefit him, maybe that does begin to build the case, hey, maybe this guy is yeah. the real deal. I think you're right, though, Gary, about one person. It doesn't matter who that person is. In fact, we talked about this a couple episodes ago. Someone was making the argument to you, oh, Gary, that doesn't happen here because we have good people in Tennessee. Yeah, the election commissions. Yeah, it's yeah. good people. So it's the same it's the same error, the same mistake when you put your trust in a man, and we know that man is fallen and his condition is rebellious at heart, and but for Christ, we don't have the ability to do what is good and right. So, yeah, I, I have a lot of reservations. Obviously, it's fun to see Elon Musk do that, and it's fun to see um, how he has had a lot of good takedowns of the left over the last couple of years, but we have to weigh that also against the evidence. Elon Musk has a huge Tesla factory in China, in Shanghai, where the whole city is locked down. And Elon Musk has a history of praising communist regimes for their, quote, efficiency. So I have concerns that this, you know, maybe this sounds conspiracy theory-like, but it's not too far off the beaten path to imagine that maybe this whole thing was made to look like a big a big deal so that they could actually control speech more or at least, for example, establish a social credit system. If Elon Musk has close ties with communist China, and all we can do is say he's got a lot of business there and he has praised the CCP for their, quote, efficiency, and then you consider what the Communist Party wants to do with information, and by the way, remember... In the final bid, he brought in banks. Well, we know banks are not friends of liberty. Mm-hmm. So if the banks are also controlling what is being said or building this biometric system whereby they can 
they can measure. So I, all that to say, I said to someone, I wouldn't be surprised if what they're doing is opening it up all again so that they can get everyone to participate, so that they can gather information on More information. everyone yeah. and then turn that against us. So I'm, I'm very nervous about it. I'm glad you said that because as we were talking about the the new federal ministry of truth, and that's where my head went. That is the that is the precursor. That is the the you're starting to build now the really public foundation of what will become you know this social credit system in America. I, so yeah, I I think I think we're going down a really bad path all the way around. I'm, the Elon Musk thing doesn't excite me, except for yeah, like you said, you see a. A liberal come apart <laughs> every now and then, which yeah. is fun to watch. But outside of that, um, yeah, whatever. So, how, so what would be your ideal way of running a social media network? If it's not, if it's too dangerous to have one man in charge, what would be the ideal way? I just wish there were more. In other words, if there more wasn't competition, yeah, if there oh. wasn't one dominant platform, this is the problem. We've allowed ourselves to allow YouTube become to, to become giant, Amazon to become giant, Microsoft to become giant, and Apple. I mean, there's there are so few companies that control commerce and information. And if we go back to James Madison, he said, he said the answer to propaganda and misinformation and quote-unquote bad speech is more speech, mm. not less speech. And so we need more platforms and trust that people can figure out their own way to the truth, which has always been the foundation of a free and civil society. Well, I feel like that started. It's good. Mm -hmm. There are things that have be become in the last two to three years that are trying to make its way into yeah. the mainstream. But yeah. it takes a lot of money to do that. So. I'm trying to build time. up my profile on the new truth. It's, dude, truth it's, social. It's a it had a rocky start, but it's a pretty solid platform. Yeah, I like it. And it's been, what, number one app for like six, seven days in a row? Yeah. And it was, it was interesting, wasn't it? Because wasn't it yesterday, the same day that all this announcement came out about the Ministry of Truth, that that's when Trump first uh, announced... He he did his first tweet his, or whatever you call it his, on his, his first truth. truth. Yeah, yeah. And also said he wasn't going to rejoin Twitter. So it kind of combines everything we've been talking about: the Twitter debate and Elon Musk, Trump's new social media platform, and this Ministry of Truth. A lot happening. A lot, a lot happening. All, all at once. It's a weird time to be alive. <laughs> I'm sure every generation has said that, but yeah. 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 Okay. Well, that was great. I, I that was a lot of feedback that I wanted on that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, before we get out of here, Gary. I know session just wrapped on the legislature, and you have any yeah. updates or what's going on there? Well, yes, yeah, so session officially, the legislature officially adjourned yesterday. So, you know, praise God, they can't do any more damage, you know, right now, and at least until 2023, or God forbid, <laughs> they call themselves into a special session to do to do something else to us before another, the another automobile plant. Yeah. yeah. Oh, stadium. <laughs> so that's a stadium. Our stadium. So that that is the official end now of the 112th General Assembly. So we now have the 2022 elections coming up, which will see the 113th General Assembly, which will, again, our, our sessions here in Tennessee span two years. So when session begins, we'll have a, a 2023 session and then a 2024 session. And those two sessions will make up what will be the 113th. General Assembly here in Tennessee, and um, you know, just just a couple of quick notes on some things we ended on the on the final day as the final floor votes were taking place. HB twelve hundred one did pass, so they they did pass the bill that will work to limit the speech of nonprofit organizations. 
That said, um, there was there was a, a couple of amendments that really negated any effect whatsoever on Tennessee stands. I, I think the bill's stupid, period, because they shouldn't be regulating the speech of nonprofits uh, whatsoever in terms of determining that if you say something at a certain period of time, it is now considered political speech. That's ridiculous. You're 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 not only regulating what someone says in terms of whether or not it's political speech. Now, per this law, speech in January, the same thing now said a different in time. May <laughs> it becomes illegal is now political speech and therefore regulated. That is that to me is the most mm-hmm. interesting thing about this. And and if you really if they really sat and thought about that, would realize how ridiculous yep. it is. That's a good way of stating it and a good way of um, summarizing that, Gary. But but nonetheless, they amended it in such a way that they clarified that should you be regulated in, in this instance and spend over five thousand dollars on now political speech, that they would not require any reporting of contributions. That's been clarified in the law so fine whatever Say that one more time you, that they will only require you to report expenditures not contributions and donors even though before it still referred it back to the title so that now that you yes i was trying to i'm going to try to keep this less complicated right. they kept the reference to that title so which is a problem right but added a subsection in the bill to clarify that, that even though they're going back to the title they can't that's right. Okay. So why even put the title yeah. in there? Yeah, you see how they do this stuff. You lost stuff. me. I'm confused. <laughs> yeah, I know, sorry. Well, that's why it's it is confusing. But anyway, so they you don't report contributions and the other big thing was organizations like Tennessee Stands can say whatever they want and can use the name of a legislator as long as you're not paying for an ad or, or distributing that speech beyond your current membership base. Mm-hmm. For example, so as How do long- you control that? Well, it's the internet. Well, no, yeah, so as long as it's posted on our website, as long as it's posted on our social media where people that that have subscribed, they've opted in, they're following, and as long as it's sent to our email list where people have opted in, we're good. We can say whatever we want. I'm like, well, that's all we do. Like, that's – they don't realize that that's – we don't – we're not paying for – I'm not placing ads. I'm not buying mailers. I'm not boosting my posts. So – Per the way the law is written now, that giant Tennessee stands documentary we were going to do, just to yeah, we got to can. We're going to put Call, through all yeah. the national media. <laughs> just got to shelve that for the time being. Yeah, we're going to got to can that. So, <laughs> but but anyway, that passed, y'all. The governor that not only oh. did the legislature pass, but the governor signed a bill that allows illegals illegals to get a professional license to do business in the state of Tennessee. So. You know, we've killed efforts to expand, de-verify. I know that Bruce Griffey tried to run so many times. Those efforts die, but we pass and the governor signs a bill that says it's like it's the same thing as California allowing an illegal to get a driver's mm-hmm. license. Same same thing. Here in Tennessee, you can be an, an illegal immigrant. And start um, your own business. And start your own business and get a professional license to to do whatever it is you do. It's it's, it's amazing wonderful. to me. Wow. So that passed. <sighs> Of course, the stadium passed, and uh, by the way, on the final day of session, uh, not only did we pass the bond to pay for the stadium, we also passed a one percentage point sales tax hike on hotels in Davidson County to mm-hmm. subsidize that bond to pay for the stadium. <laughs> so just don't say in hotels in Davidson County So tax hikes, yep. illegal uh, professional licensing, illegal restrictions on free speech, 
and now it's adjourned. Praise God. <laughs> well, uh, no words. No, it's it's hard. It's hard to really look at some of this stuff and understand. Number one, this is happening in a super again, like always, a super majority Republican legislature in Tennessee with and, a Republican quote. Yeah. Republican governor. And yeah. they all think they've done a, a wonderful job. Well, so to that point, that we we've got we've got a Republican supermajority. Let me ask you a question since you're one running and two in the mix of all these guys and and the the overall environment of politics. What is it looking like for for this, you know, these midterms and these these races? How how are we looking as everyday Americans trying to make a difference and people that are running in some of these key races to try and take back some of these seats and make a difference. Like, what, is, what does that look like? What does that landscape look like? Well, that's a two-part answer. There, there are some really great people running uh, across the state, not only for state races, but you know, when you look at county commissions, especially looking like in Knox County out mm-hmm. in East Tennessee, they have some real opportunities. I mean, to really shift the needle to an ultra conservative uh, leadership style. I'm I'm really excited about some of the school boards and county commissions and what I'm seeing out there. Also, uh, even in Shelby County in Memphis, there's Todd Payne and uh, Jordan Carpenter. There's two really strong. You got to understand Memphis. I mean, oh, yeah. Shelby County yeah. is, and and Shelby County has basically had one conservative on the the uh, county board of commissioners for a long time. It's Mick Wright, and the guy's been just poor Lone Ranger out there by himself. I mean, in uh, you know, progressive hell out yeah. there in Memphis, and so. But now you've got two more, and and I think I think they're doing really well. I mean, mm. they, it looks strong. So that's there are some areas across the state that have the potential to to really make some significant shifts. In addition to a couple of positions in the in the general assembly, my race being one of them. Uh, but look, I mean, so the the two things are: are conservatives actually going to show up and vote? And really affect some change. That that's one question. But but the second part of that is is the whole election integrity issue that we continue to to, yeah. to speak about. It's like, yeah. you know, while you can't, we 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 can't really say that Tennessee was a major swing in the presidential election, but that's partially because. We haven't done an audit. We don't really know that to be true or not. I mean, most likely not. It doesn't seem like it was, but we don't really know that. And look, we use these machines all across the state, and they do all the same thing, and they run all the same software, and they have the same algorithm. So to some degree, there's— They still can't be verified. And they still can't be verified. And there's And there's some thought— that well, you know, yeah, we're going to go into these elections, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, do all of us conservatives really, you know, with certainty trust the outcome? I, 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 I don't know. I don't. So it's it's. We'll see. There's there's a lot of ifs for me. This election is a huge barometer test for me. Mm. How pissed off are people really through what we've been through with COVID over the last two years, and then to are they really willing to do something about it? Are, are they really going to vote for change? Are they real? Are we going to see a higher voter turnout? Are we going to see a higher voter turnout from all of these folks that have moved here from California that I believe many are liberty refugees that we have no record of voting yet? So it's like here in Williamson County, if you follow the trends, 
you can you should expect about 36,000 voters to show up in the Republican primary here in Williamson County. But with the kind of population growth that Williamson County has seen from folks from that number could be 40,000, maybe maybe 44,000. I don't know. It's it's yeah. hard to gauge. So that's another thing as as to the impact unknown, yeah. that that unknown is going to have in the elections. So it it'll be an interesting election cycle. Hmm. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Yep. I'm also looking forward to the day that Joe Rogan finally shows up and <laughs> joins us on this show. Hey, did we invite him last week? Uh, we did. We did? We invite him every Man, week. John yeah. always invites him. <laughs> every week. The guy's always welcome in this empty chair right here. So, yeah. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks, John. Until next Thank week. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Freedom Matters podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit TennesseeStands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. And remember, as revolutionary Thomas Paine once stated, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigues of supporting it.